Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, November 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Secretary of State reflects on a monumental election day in Mississippi. Then, with a voter-approved design, we examine the next steps for the new state flag. Plus, in our book club, an award-winning, highly praised Mississippi writer addresses growing up in Jackson in the book, How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Election commissioners across the state are continuing to count and certify the results from Tuesday's election. Officials say it's too early to estimate Mississippi's record-breaking voter turnout in this year's general election, but current returns show over a million Mississippians cast ballots. Secretary of State Michael Watson tells our Kobe Vance the momentum for the high turnout began with absentee ballots and continued throughout Election Day. Initially, we we saw a large turnout in absentee voting. We had roughly a quarter million absentee votes uh, requested, ballots requested. So we we saw that huge spike and we're really kind of wondering, you know, does that mean there was going to take some pressure off of Election Day or uh, does that indicate a, a really large spike in voting on Election Day as well? And so the second piece of that, the latter part was true. Uh, we saw an incredible turnout. I'm, I'm so excited and, and proud of Mississippi for coming out to have their voices heard. We had a wonderful team of circuit clerks and elections commissioners and poll managers who did an incredible job working the polls, uh, making sure that Mississippians' voices could be heard. And we had very limited uh, issues, none that were substantial. Each of those were corrected in a timely fashion. And uh, I'm, I'm just very proud of our team. And, and really, the turnout in Mississippi was incredible. Now, in a lot of places in Mississippi, we saw some longer lines than usual. Um, Do you think that that was uh, based around just some COVID-19 precautions, or do you think that also has to do with um, larger voter turnout than usual? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think we saw, obviously, social distancing was a piece that that made the lines look a little bit longer, uh, depending on where you were. We also saw 
you know, the, the turnout was incredible. And so you, you couple those things together as well as, you know, we, we were focused on safety in the precincts. Uh, so social distancing was, was noticed there. Uh, we had our PPE uh, obviously dispersed within our precincts. And again, we had some of our precincts where we wouldn't allow but a certain number of people in to make sure that we were properly distancing as well as, again, you know, in a smaller precinct, you didn't want too many folks in there. So I think a combination of all of those things added up to some longer lines. Uh, but people were telling me out th- throughout the day, really, that, look, once I got to the building and to the precinct, it was very smooth and, and quick process. Uh, it was just a little bit of a wait to get there, and, and most Mississippians that I heard from said we were we were honored and, and happy to wait uh, to express our opinions and our voices. Now, uh, can you tell me a little bit about um, how this year compares to other years? I know it's still early in this election; um, votes are still coming in. How does this? How so far? How's it compared to other years as far as voter turnout? Yeah, so again, the only thing we can really judge that on right now are, are absentee numbers. And if you look at the roughly 249,000 that were requested uh, as opposed to 110,000 in 2016, you'll see it more than doubled. And we, we have 34 counties who still haven't reported any, any information into SIMS, the state wide election management system, today. So we still don't have an accurate picture of what the total numbers look like as far as turnout yesterday. Uh, but But looking simply at absentee numbers, what an incredible increase. So we, we're expecting uh, to, to have more votes than we had in 2016, but that number is not final yet. And so you mentioned earlier there were some uh, some roadblocks or some road bumps in the in the path yesterday. Um, what were some hurdles that um, you know, elections, uh, ha- election commissioners across the state had to uh, overcome? Yeah, so we dealt with a few questions throughout the day. We had roughly a thousand calls into the Secretary of State's office dealing with elections, and our team did an incredible job of turning those around and getting answers to the individuals who were calling. Uh, the thing we heard the most about was probably masks, whether or not folks had to wear masks to go vote in the precincts. Uh, the second thing was probably the poll locator that's located on our website. Uh, and folks were saying that sometimes the poll locator was giving them a wrong location to go vote. And so we had to explain to them that information is pulled from data entered by our circuit clerks and elections commissioners on the local level. Man, they, they, they lit our phones up yesterday, so I really appreciate them trusting us to give them accurate information. And now, you know, Mississippi did not expand voting access um, as far as, like, you know, increasing opportunities for um, more more mail-in ballots or more um, absentee ballots. It, it stayed uh, traditionally as to what Mississippi usually has. Um, do you think if, if that had been expanded at all, it would have uh, maybe reduced some of the load on, on polls yesterday? Yeah, perhaps. I, th- I think it's uh, important to point out that the legislature did expand just a, a little bit the temporary disability excuse to vote absentee and granted that to those who were impacted by COVID-19 as far as a diagnosis or who were uh, exhibiting those symptoms and were told by a physician that they needed to quarantine at home. You also saw us issue administrative rules dealing with uh, curbside voting and expanding that to the same group of people, those who had been diagnosed with COVID or who were exhibiting those symptoms. So we had a little bit of an expansion to to talk to and to address those issues dealing with COVID-19, but I do think you're going to see a larger conversation because of the lines yesterday, uh, do you know is it time for Mississippi to approach early voting? And if so, what does that need to look like? And I want to be clear to our listeners here that is a legislative change, so it's not something that our office can do unilaterally. Uh, the legislature changes the law, you know, each time they come to the session. Uh, so maybe next year the, the absentee voting as well as early voting may be uh, a subject that they breach. And, and if so, uh, we'll be in those conversations. And, and obviously, been hearing from a lot of circuit clerks 
talking to them about what their preferences would be. So it's it's a team approach, and all of us will get around the table and talk through that and come up with the best solution for Mississippi. How much longer does it take? Uh, how much longer will it take to confirm uh, the voting that has been uh, that has been done in Mississippi? Yeah, so counties have ten days to certify their results, and within those ten days, I think it's important that Mississippians know. Look, you, you've got voter ID, so if folks showed up to the polls without their ID, they have five days to come back and show their ID. Uh, same thing dealing with mail-in absentee ballots. As long as they were postmarked on election day, they can be received within five business days thereafter. So there are a couple of different things. Uh, that 10-day window that can happen for folks to come back in and, again, show their ID or uh, make, make sure that their mail-in ballot was received. Uh, so that gives the counties the 10-day buffer there to certify those results. And then once they send them to us, we actually have 30 days to uh, certify all the results statewide. So uh, it's roughly December 3rd, somewhere in that area, you will see the, the final numbers certified by our office. As we started to see some uh, state reporting, um, President Donald Trump actually said uh, said on Twitter that he was that in a sense he was claiming victory, and um, others have criticized that, saying that it was too soon. And since then, we've actually seen uh, some states begin to flip a little bit. Um, do you think that that kind of uh, language and going into before all polls have uh, finished voting, uh, calling calling a race like that, especially one this close, is not uh, not the best practice? Well, I think, you know, maybe sometimes folks have to eat crow. Uh, I do think that you see many times in elections, uh, if, if individuals are, you know, strongly rely on the numbers they're seeing coming into their war rooms, for lack of a better term, and projecting that they would win, I think that gives them confidence to come out and, and make an announcement. Uh, now, I would encourage folks to be patient. You know, this is, uh, this is a key, a crucial moment in our country's future. And so uh, all the Secretary of States from across the country have the desire uh, to return accurate information. And I think that's a key thing that we need to wait on and make sure the process uh, works itself out. And so you're going to see a lot of conversations around this country over the next few days. And I just hope Mississippians as well as Americans are are patient and and let's watch this closely and, and see how it turns out. Well, Secretary of State Michael Watson, thank you so much for your time. You got it, my friend. Have a great day. During this election, voters elected to legalize medical marijuana and a Jim Crow era provision and adopt a new design for the state flag. All four House incumbents retained their seats and Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith was reelected. Mississippi's six electoral college votes went to President Donald Trump. Coming up with a voter approved design, we examine the next steps for the new state flag. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippi flag store is working to keep up with orders after voters approved a new state flag. Nearly 72 percent of those who cast their ballots in Tuesday's elections said yes to the new design. Brenda McIntyre is co-owner of a complete flag source in Jackson. She tells our Desiree Frazier her store has been selling the design since the commission selected it. Since it was a proposed flag that we were people were buying before the actual vote, we had ordered a good many for those orders, and we took a chance, and we had a good many of the three-foot-by-five-foot flags 
um, which is kind of the common size that most individuals fly. And so we had over 300 of those available. But uh, where we had one vendor that was making those as the proposed flag that could that were getting us fast, now all of the flag vendors across the United States will start making it as the official state flag. So we're having to get art to all those vendors, colors to all the vendors, making sure that they have the right art and the right sizes and everything for production. You said that people started buying the flag before it was approved. Yes, because it was it was the proposed flag. It was, you know, the one that was designed by the committee. And so um, we had a, lots of people that wanted it then. So we ordered. And so what are they saying to you now when they come in to get a flag? What are the comments you're hearing? Um. Uh, excited, been waiting for this day, uh, can't wait to put my flag up, going right home right now and putting it on my flagpole. Um, well, when will you have the other sizes in? So that's what most everybody's saying. We're, they're, the individuals are very excited. Are you hearing from school districts and municipalities? We are starting to. Uh, we have already gotten some pre-orders from schools and from um from cities, um, the state, the Capitol grounds, of course, will not fly the flag until after it is um, ratified by the legislature. Brenda McIntyre with the Flag Source. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. You're quite welcome. Thank you, Desiree. The new design features a magnolia in the center encircled by 20 white stars and the phrase, In God We Trust. It also includes a gold star representing Mississippi's first peoples. The new flag replaces the 1894 flag that had the Confederate battle emblem. Legislators retired the old flag in June as the U.S. was dealing with issues of racial injustice. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says the voter-approved design won't become official until the legislature returns. Uh, under the uh, statute as passed, the legislature sh- says shall um, ratify the vote of the people. And so the first week in January when we come into session, the Senate will ratify the vote of approximately, I think it was about 72% in favor of this flag. So we will ratify that flag and then we'll officially become the state flag of Mississippi pursuant to the directions of the voters. In the meantime, we understand that people are busy buying the flags. They have bought them before they went on the ballot. In your mind, did that portend this outcome? Well, um, we anticipated that that people supported uh, this flag. Uh, I think the uh, flag commission did a great job. And when they, they were very inclusive and looked at, I think, 3,000 different proposals and did a lot of things on the Internet and took comments and met for a certain number of different times and it was very open and clean process. And I think when it came out of there, as it did, um, most most Mississippians embraced what the uh, Flag Commission had, had decided, and I think that's where, where it started to gather momentum. And how do you feel about it? Are you pleased with the outcome? Yes, I, I, we we are pleased with the outcome. I, I think that uh, it was time for Mississippi, and I'm, I'm thinking that we um, that we will find out here uh, that this has been very well received by everyone. Uh, over 70 percent of the people voted for this flag, and um, 
that that's a huge that's a huge positive vote, and I, I think people will embrace the flag and we'll go forward. So it is okay for municipalities and state offices. Can they start flying the flag? Well, that's up to them. Um, individuals uh, can do what they want to, but it will not become officially the state flag until um, until it's ratified by by the legislature, which will be in the first week in January. And the Capitol, you won't have a flag up until then? Nobody's talked to me about that. Uh, the Capitol here is um, administered by the Department of Finance and Administration, so they, they have the selection on what, what flags are flown here. The, they, uh, they actually manage the Capitol, not, not the Senate. Do you anticipate having a ceremony when it is raised at the Capitol? Uh, I, I want to talk to uh, Katie Blunt at Archives and History. Uh, as you know, we, we had a very um, formal ceremony when the um, prior flag was retired, and I thought it was very appropriate to do so. And uh, I'll ask her at Archives and History what, what she believes ought to be done in regards to the first time it's flown here. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman with our Desiree Fraser. The new flag is also expected to open up economic doors. The 1894 flag kept closed. Scott Waller is with the Mississippi Economic Council. He says adoption of the new flag is a step toward fulfilling the state's potential. To see it happen in June, with the legislature taking the action that they did, and then to have the voters overwhelmingly approve the design that the commission created shows you that it is a new day in Mississippi. And that is that is what is great. I think that I've said this many times. I do not believe we've come anywhere close to reaching our full potential as a state. This is one step in that direction. And as you said, um, the Mississippi Economic Council has been at the forefront of this. You even wanted it changed when it was on the referendum in 2000. One, when it was on the ballot as a referendum, you felt like Mississippi was losing business opportunities, business development opportunities. Yeah, I mean, we as an organization, we felt that way for a long time. And I think when you talk to economic developers across the state, they will they'll tell you the same thing that, you know, we need to do everything we can to remove any obstacle that might be in our way. And in many cases, you never know what company maybe didn't even look at Mississippi as a result of that being there because it's something that was an obstacle or something that was a concern. And I think now that we have, now that we have removed that, it sets the table. And the thing is, we're going to have to work really, really hard now to take advantage of it. I mean, this isn't going to, this isn't going to necessarily open the floodgates. We've got other things we now got to focus on. We've got to focus on how do we make sure that we're creating a type of workforce training system in the state that's going to create the job uh, pool, the workforce pool that's going to be necessary to attract these companies. There's so many things that we, we can now focus our attention on and put this behind us and really begin to build a stronger, better state. Scott Waller with Mississippi Economic Council. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Coming up in our book club, an award-winning, highly praised Mississippi writer on growing up in Jackson in the book, How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
no matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Following the success of his memoir, Heavy, a Mississippi writer has updated and reissued a book of essays published in 2013. Kieze Lehman's How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America focuses on family, race, music, and growing up in Jackson, Mississippi. I had to go to work with my mother usually every day. She worked at Jackson State University. And I just remember when she would go teach um, I was supposed to stay in her office, but I was a bad little boy, so I would go downstairs and just go in front of that old, well, the library it had this big like uh, fountain, and I would just throw paper airplanes and try to try to throw airplanes across the fountain. So growing up, just going to work with my mama was my probably happiest memory because because I was safe enough because she was there, but. I also was free because when she went to class, there was a point when I didn't have to go to class with her anymore and I could just roam the campus. So I used to like that a lot. You became a voice representing many black men in the South, in the country. Where does your voice come from? Does it go back to your mom? Uh, I think, I mean, my voice comes from Mississippi, but I think my voice, I think all of our voices in our family primarily come from my grandmother. You know what I mean? Like she's the she's the most powerful. She's very weak right now, but she's the most powerful voice. Her voice has the most integrity. She tells the best stories. And I think whether we admit it or not, we always want to make her proud in everything we do. My writing practice comes from my mama because she was very disciplined and she made me be disciplined when it comes to my art. But my voice, I think, comes from my grandmama. How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America was originally published in 2013. This is a reissue with some new essays. Why bring that book? Is it because people didn't read it, not not enough people read it, and you want to bring it forward, as opposed to starting a new book with these new essays? There were two things. One, I signed a terrible deal when I I sold that book. I sold a book for $1,000, and then the, the publisher wanted me to buy it back for him from him for like close to six figures so that made me really unhappy because he made a lot of money he made way more money off that book than i did and i always just wanted that book to be a differently shaped book but that book came out in 2013 and like essay collections were not selling like they are now so i wanted it to be a different shape but i also just wanted to own the rights to my book like i sold my tv rights my movie rights my foreign rights i sold everything for a thousand dollars because i was so desperate i've gotten a few major book deals and i got my money up so now i'm just gonna buy my books back and release them the way i wanted to release them and so there were three or four essays in that book that i didn't think fit anyway so i took those out and then i replaced them with with essays that i wrote when i moved back to mississippi it's a better book but more importantly, I, I just needed to own it. You know, like, this is my book. I didn't really even own that other book. Are your essays reflective of your past, or are they looking forward? Both. Everything I write, I think, is doing both. I'm not afraid to look back. I don't think you can engage the future with any sort of 
specificity if you're afraid to look back. I think I'm trying to give myself an understanding of the parts of yesterday that I neglected and hope that if I give that enough attention that the future will be less stressful and less filled with struggle and and less harmful. So I try to do both. What meaning or influence do you think your writing has for other African-American men? Uh, That's a tough question. You know, I'm lucky enough to where I have a lot of different black men in my in my life who I know and don't know who've, who've been inspired to write, you know, who've written books, and they say partially inspired by what I do. But I think more than that, just as a teacher, I think some of the things I write give young black men permission to remember and permission to say things that they don't feel like they have been given permission to say around masculinity and fear and also responsibility. So I hope that's what the work does. Does Jackson still play a pivotal role in your life? Absolutely. You know, when I left New York, like, ideally, I wanted to come back to Jackson, but I wasn't offered a job in Jackson. I was offered a job at University of Mississippi, and I'm not in Oxford a lot, but that's where my job is. But Jackson is always going to be home. It's just such a different place than when I grew up in the 90s. It's just so, so, so different, but... It's still so the same, and, and I and I love that. But it's a different, you know, it's a different place. Like I grew up in Jackson when we would go to the game every other Saturday, pack forty, fifty thousand black folks. We'd go to the skate rink, like black polit- the politicians. It was a different political era. Gangs were like like I mean, you know, folks and vice lords had just gotten to Mississippi, so it was a different Jackson. But it's home, you know. It's that's my heart. That's that's my home, no matter what. Kiazi Lehman is the author of How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.